is Pop Poetry Podcast. And I'm Robert. And I'm Tim. Each week we read a poem and talk about it. Today's guest is Katherine Ugaritz. She will be reading 670 by Emily Dickinson. You want a poem? There you go. Poem 670 by Emily Dickinson. One need not be a chamber to be haunted. One need not be a house. The brain has corridors surpassing material place. Far safer of a midnight meeting external ghost than its interior confronting that cooler host. Far safer through an abbey gallop, the stones a chase, than unarmed one's a self-encounter in lonesome place. Ourself behind ourself concealed should startle most. Assassin hid in our apartment be horrors least. The body borrows a revolver, he bolts the door, or looking a superior specter or more. What first attracted you to this poem? Um, well, I thought it was really disturbing, and that actually attracted me to it, um, that she takes these gothic images that are external in the world and then superimposes them on the brain. So I found that disturbing but very provocative. Yeah, it's, it seems like an Edgar Allan Poe poem almost, but it's Emily Dickinson still, so you get that horror in it. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way, but I think there's definitely an affinity there. Yes, that's good. Yeah. And, and the, the creepiness, that's where you're relating it to Poe? Yeah, and maybe in some of the imagery, too, which uh, we, we can get into as we go through it. Mm-hmm. And uh, even in this first line, one need not be a chamber to be haunted. Yeah, it's interesting. I love that um, those first... Um, four words, one need not be. Um, I just think it's an incredible turn of phrase, the, um, how she negates um, what we don't need to be and that we can still be haunted. Um, and then also the, the piece of this chamber um, and the line that follows, one need not be a house. There's a sense that from the very first two lines, she's creating a kind of architecture to the to the poem it seems so as far as i'm concerned there is a such a thing as a haunted house and uh I'm, a haunted chamber is not something that's a, as immediate to my experience well and starting with the chamber i mean for me that feels very intimate right yeah. like it sort of suggests a bedroom a very private place a place where Um, perhaps you are more at home and more yourself than in the front drawing room. Mm -hmm. Um, I think especially in terms of the house that she invents here, it feels like, you know, you're in the world of Jane Eyre or Northanger Abbey or these kind of gothic um, homes in in novels. What would it mean to, uh, to be a chamber? What would it mean to be a house? You mean as a as a human being to yeah. have that kind of? Do you think it's an ordered mind? Is is this a metaphor or? Well, I think uh, what 
what Catherine has just pointed out about the intimacy of a chamber versus a house, if yeah. it is a metaphor for an ordered mind, it, it's interesting that there are parts. Would, there would be parts of our own mind that are more intimate to us than than the house as a whole. The the chamber house is also pretty inter- intimate. Well, and she, I mean, she continues, too, with the brain has corridors. Yeah, that's why, that's why yeah. I was thinking, is your brain, this chamber, this house, the logic we construct of our mind? And you don't have to be, you don't have to be at this chamber to be haunted. Right, because your brain can be haunted. Mm-hmm. I think that's exactly um, what she's setting up to to have us start to feel um, a little disconcerted, right, mm-hmm. as a reader, because we want to think that the haunting is out there, that the haunting is the house or the haunted chamber. And then all of a sudden, um, as a reader, I'm being told that the brain has corridors surpa- surpassing material place. And so these corridors in the mind have the potential to be haunted and uh, seem even more at risk in some way um, than the material world. Do you guys think there's anything to be made of the the capitalization of certain nouns in this stanza? Um, we have, well, in addition to the, to the first letters of each line, chamber is capitalized, mm-hmm. haunted is capitalized, house, brain, corridors, and place. Yeah, I mean, they're all spatial, right? Except for um, haunted. haunted. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, in, in brain, it's it's tricky to call spatial, I think, in some ways. But I, I think how she's setting it up is as a kind of location that's susceptible to haunting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and perhaps the just one more thing about the brain that it is in this poem, the, the place where one is happening. And it's interesting because even though she says um, one in this very formal way, it feels like a very intimate poem to me. It feels very um, private. Like a, I, Although I may read one, at least for me as a reader, um, and maybe I'm more susceptible to haunting than others, but I, I really feel it like as a you, not a, a one. Um, so that's how I how I see it. I that. just find it so strange that these people with chambered or housed minds, uh, you'd think they would be less susceptible to being haunted. And you know, what are these people without chambered or housed minds? Uh, they can be haunted, haunted too. So if I think these people with architectural brains, logic, systems of thought, uh, you don't, those people are haunted. One need not be one of these great philosophers, maybe. Those guys are especially haunted. Well, that's an interesting way to think about that. Um, I mean, I, how, I, how I read the brain is that that kind of applies to anyone with a brain, that that could be possible. But um, your point is interesting because it suggests that um, in some ways our thinking 
builds the architecture of our brains or our minds. And there may be a way that uh, some of us create architecture that may lend itself to more haunting than not. How, how does uh, surpassing material place read to you guys? The, the brain, it's not physical, it's not I, I, this internal haunting it's getting back to. They're, they're, you know, the, the worst ghosts will be uh, not physically things you see or don't see, but will be things in your mind. Yeah, and I think what is um, strange is that immaterial um, haunting that you're referring to, you know, she creates this uh, highly spatial, highly interior architectural metaphor as well. Like she, she doesn't exempt the brain from this image and this metaphor of a home or a building or a structure of some kind, which I think makes it spookier in a way. It also ends with that dash, with the dash which is uh, the first stanza. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and we haven't had a complete uh, sentence yet, so there might be something carrying over from the first stanza into the second as we move on to that. Yeah, this poem is haunted. <laughs> <laughs> the ghosts in it. Yeah, so then the, the next line in the second stanza reads, um, far safer of a midnight meeting. Um, and here, I mean, I think that Dickinson is, is being somewhat playful in a way with these, um, these conventional images of horror. And I don't know, I find the, the far safer a really interesting um, way to begin because she's, she's setting up um, this reversal where what you fear in terms of like the midnight meeting or the ghost outside um, is The not, external ghost. Yeah, yeah, the external ghost that follows. Um, that that's actually where safety is in some ways. That's safer than the alternative. Huh. which we see in the two lines that follow, um, then it's interior confronting that cooler host. So there's a, just, if maybe we could just spell it out really clearly. Mm -hmm. What, um, I think you've just alluded to it, but uh, what is safer than what exactly here? So, so for me, if I'm kind of walking the corridors of my brain, Okay, what is far safer is kind of a midnight meeting of an external ghost. We can think Hamlet or something like that. That's safer. That is safer than its interior confronting. So it's, let's assume that it refers to the ghost. Mm -hmm. So that's safer than running into it in the corridors of my own brain mm -hmm. and that cooler host. Mm -hmm. And the host is a little perplexing to me because I'm, I'm a little uncertain actually at this point if that cooler host is referring to the mind, to the brain, or if, that, if she's being suggestive here that the ghost inside the corridors of the brain is in somehow, uh, has some kind of ownership and is some kind of host, host. there. So I'm, 
and I don't know if I'll be more sure in a few minutes or less sure in a few minutes, <laughs> but, but right now that cooler host, I'm, I am a bit uncertain. I don't know, what, what do the two of you think about that? Yeah, I'll, I'll just say, or reiterate what you already said, that you know, you'd think a midnight meeting in the forest where there are ghosts and witches would be dangerous. But it's really thought which is dangerous and exploring your own mental universe, this interior. And, and when you actually have to confront those ghosts, they're cooler. That's, that's the word I'm stuck on, cooler. How is it cooler? Um, I think it's the interior ghost that's cooler, yeah. not scarier. And that coolness is dangerous almost. Yeah, it's, uh, the, that is a really interesting word, that cooler host. Um, a ghost doesn't need to, sh- you know, be Ghostbusters. It's going to scream <laughs> at you. Uh, uh, and maybe I know who Emily Dickinson needs to call. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. Uh, <laughs> when they don't have to scream and shock you, they just have to be there. And that's maybe even more for Well, I think there are ways that sometimes we have thoughts inside our own minds that once they reveal themselves are completely surprising, completely disturbing, and completely separate from how we identify ourselves in the world. And it, it and then once that thought is there, what happens to it? And um, and it can kind of haunt the brain in a way that you once thought this. Right. Um, this is not who you thought you were. This is not the safe house or the safe chamber that you thought you had inside your mind. Maybe you're not as good as you think you are. Right. Or um, maybe you uh, are thinking outside the, the architecture of, I don't know, safety or conventionality, those sorts of things. Um, and I think that all of us have had those moments since childhood, and they can be really troubling. And those are exactly mm. the things that we never want to reveal. We can barely handle the fact they've been revealed to ourselves. It would be nice if, if the host of our interior house was a warm being that we loved and could embrace, but what, the way she's setting it up here is that the, the host is a cool host. Stanza three. Far safer through an abbey gallop, the stones a chase. Again, here we have another image kind of taken from the playbook of um, gothic novels. The, the dark, spooky, haunted abbey. Um, someone's running through it. I mean, that, of course, makes me think of a dam's damsel in distress that's usually the the person running through the abbey if someone's running um, away from something the stones of chase which i think is kind of provocative this idea that the, even the stones are moving in some way um, but again that's safer than something else um, that's safer than unarmed one's a self-encounter in lonesome place it, I, I had a I have a hard time just making sense of this stanza. So, and it sounds like you have a way of of thinking about it that could be helpful. Um, are you reading through an abbey gallop as an image of a person running through a field in a monastery, 
being chased by stones? No, I, I'm thinking that, the, you know, there's a stone floor. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so sort of a, this image of this person, um, you know, oh, there's a, a flickering light in the tower over there, and I saw a shadow move, um, or oh, there's a scary sound. So I guess the running could be running towards or running away. Um, I'm imagining, you know, either way that might not be um, so important here. But yes, we have a figure, you know, running through the abbey, um, racing through there, galloping through there. Um, I'm imagining the stones, um, you know, the, the stone floor and almost this feeling of even the stones are chasing that feeling of being um, uh, pursued mm-hmm. by something. Um, so I didn't imagine them literally a chase, but that feeling of, I don't know. I mean, I'm obviously Emily Dickinson don't, didn't go to the movies, but um, that idea where you have, um, you know, especially high heels, I, it constantly mystifies me why uh, women in scary movies are wearing you know, unsensible shoes because I feel like listen, if you're going to be dealing with these horrible creatures, you need to be wearing Doc Martens or something. But anyway, so um, you know, the footsteps kind of on the stones and that a chase. I mean, that's that's how I heard it. Um, I mean, Dickinson is uh, very <laughs> what's the word I want? I mean, I think she asks a lot from each word to kind of pull you somewhere and, and that it is tightly condensed and I think that can make it hard um, but taken as a as a group of words and as a as an image um, so not operating in the world of um, language operating literally but just purely figuratively I think that's what she's pressing towards and again this is what's safer is running away from the evil spirit or the unknown or um, whatever is is haunting the the abbey. Then unarmed, one's a self encounter in lonesome place. When you when you go out into the woods, you can bring some weapons, but in your mind, you're all alone. Yeah, I know. Yeah, what what do you have? It's Any... all alone. It's lonesome there. There's um, it's just you confronting yourself. And it's, it's frightening the way she puts it. Absolutely. Like, better to have an external ghost to chase you than to actually be alone with yourself and to encounter yourself and to be unarmed. And I, and I think that the unarmed piece is really fascinating because there might be a way that she's suggesting that sometimes we do go through our thinking um, armed in some way where we suddenly discard a thought or like you're you're out of there but to to not be armed suddenly with say logic or um, a sense of ourselves that say oh I'm a good person I would never think that but to suddenly be unarmed and um, vulnerable than to encounter yourself in a lonesome place. That is really where danger is for Dickinson. What can you bring with you into your mind? A proton pack? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think there are ways sometimes that we arm our own minds. 
um, that we might have a, a way that we negate a thought that is more of a haunting thought. Should I be doing this? Um. <laughs> I, I just I just think of marshmallows. Marshmallows, another <laughs> Ghostbusters illusion. <laughs> I'm gonna keep them coming. That's great. That's great. And you know, I think this is one of the reasons um, human beings are drawn to these kinds of of narratives, whether it's in film or books. I mean, Dickinson is definitely. Um, using images from from literature at her time or, or before um, to evoke that that spookiness and um, how we are just really curious about that or I mean I don't know you know when you're in the movies and you see the person about to open the door and you're like don't open the door you don't do it don't do it and they always do it and I think so often Every once in a while, I'll make a life choice, and I can hear myself almost saying, don't open that door, Catherine. Mm -hmm. Don't do it. Mm -hmm. And I still do it. And, um, I mean, often I wish I wouldn't, but it, it still happens. And I think that there's this way that we as human beings, we, we want to know what's on the other side of that door. And often we treat that as an external question that what is outside is something of the world. But what I think Emily Dickinson is doing here is saying what's outside that door is something inside your mind that not only did you not know about yourself, but you didn't know that you didn't know that about yourself. And that is spooky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and I think we're touching on some of the, the things that Philosophically underlie the the Ghostbusters films, too. Like where we're where we're getting pleasure out of sit watching a, a film about external ghosts and I like that. There, there are some people who possessed in the movie. Don't forget. Uh, <laughs> I haven't seen that movie in a while, but uh, but absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think that um, I'm not sure how this leans into possession. Um, it doesn't seem to quite go there, but I think that there is a way that she's leaning towards those things around the the mind and perhaps how we respond to what we find or what we find frightening or unknown or unexpected. Well, we might see that in this next line. Herself behind ourself concealed should yeah. startle most. The self we have now isn't our true self, but it's like a skin we shed or something mm -hmm. to get to what's truly beneath. Or they're both so. Yeah. Um, that there is the, our self behind ourself. Um, oh, yeah. And yeah. But our true self is concealed and hidden, and even it's even hidden from us. We don't even know who we truly are. But I don't think she's suggesting that there's a true self behind ourself. I think it's another self behind ourself. So, so it's like Russian nesting dolls of maybe, selves. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. I mean, and I think that this can, I mean, in this poem, it certainly operates in kind of this. Um, troubling, disturbing way. But I think that the our self behind ourself concealed, um, there there can be a way that that can be interpreted as 
uh, a possibility of a, another self that we don't know, but it isn't necessarily a, a bad or a scary or haunting self. It could just be something that surprises us or we didn't know um, and yet startles. Um, so are we, are we to be startled by the self that's behind the self? Or are we to be startled by the fact that there is a self behind ourself that is concealed? <laughs> That's a great question. What What do you think, Tim? Um, well, I'm I'm inclined to say from stanza two that the that it's the cooler host that that is startling that in this poem we're we're always concealed to ourselves. Yeah. Mm. I, I always knew there was a cool person inside me somewhere <laughs> just waiting to come out. The cooler host. Well, I think that, you know, one thing, um, the startling, I think, is what's, I, I love um, that word there. Um, ourself behind ourself, concealed, should startle most. Um, because I think there is a way that we can startle ourselves every once in a while. And um, one thing I'm, I'm observing right now, I mean, she never really says the haunting is a bad thing. There's um, the the ghost, this cooler host. Um, there's, there's never any really uh, threatening action taken to the, the brain um, with the corridors and the human being or the self inside that brain. Um, it's more the the understanding that, that we're bringing to that haunting. Um, and yet it is unsafe. It is. So there's there's maybe there's a question of whether or not it's there's anything threatening really going on, but there is something that makes us feel unsafe in the poem. Perhaps less safe, since she says far safer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think that there is a way that the language um, is tricking us a little bit to go to the scariest part, even though there isn't necessarily anything scary happening here. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm thinking about those moments in movies where the music is coming and you're like, oh no, I'm hearing this music, this scary music means something. Um, and it may not, but like I'm already making that assumption based on various sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that she she pulls out these images um, that are taken from literature that are, um, you know, scary or part of the novels that are scary or other poems and saying, well, this is worse than that. And so we automatically go to, to something. Um, or not worse necessarily, but that other thing is safer. Mm-hmm. It's less. It's less safe. Yeah. Yeah. Then our assassin hidden our apartment, be horrors least. Yeah. So don't worry about the assassin <laughs> yeah. hidden in your apartment. <laughs> no sweat. Yeah. Because that's yeah. That's not that's not what's really dangerous here. You look perplexed. Well, I guess I'm wondering like she must not. She must be sort of, the difference between an assassin here and a ghost earlier on is that an assassin is uh, 
real and an assassin is really mm-hmm. there to kill you right mm-hmm. she must be okay with with dying right yeah i think that is a really important observation because that assassin is is different from the haunting mm-hmm. of a place or an external ghost um or even the the cooler host mm-hmm. so um and that's really the kind of thing that I'm scared of in the dark. I don't really think about ghosts so much, but I, I will if I'm, you know, walking through my apartment in the dark. I will sort of think like, oh, there there might be like an assassin behind. <laughs> They're coming for <laughs> They're you. They're coming for me. Yeah. <laughs> well, we we know what you should do. The body borrows a revolver. He bolts the door. He's armed term. now, <laughs> or the body is armed the, at least. Well, yeah, is that the assassin? No, I, I think, think that's the speaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that that's what one does in response. Um, now I'm not sure if it's in response to that startling from finding ourselves behind ourselves concealed, um, but it seems to be that's what it is that we are in some ways afraid of those lonesome places and the self we may have to confront or may confront us, perhaps. I think that's more what she's leaning towards. Um, and so we, we borrow a revolver and we bolt the door. Yeah, that's, that's helpful for me because it's really every night I get home and I think there's an assassin in the dark. <laughs> Well, I think that it's it's interesting that you say that. And I, I, every once in a while, I don't do it every night, but every once in a while I'll think, I should just check all the closets and yeah. I should just check all the doors. <laughs> and um, there is that, that feeling of vulnerability and that sense of we have this protection, right, of our home, um, that we think is safe, our corridors, our, our bedroom. I mean, I think that one of the really intense things of the very famous Alfred Hitchcock um, scene in Psycho where the woman is killed in the shower, I mean, he really doesn't show anything there um, in terms of the actual act. But if you think like that's like the place you really want to just feel safe and 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 do your do your thing and wash your hair or whatever and so there's there's this way that um we do become afraid of some of the most ordinary things in the places where we should be safe and it's not because like oh this one time someone came into my shower and tried to kill me with a knife it's because of these various images and these other things out in the world and I think that Dickinson is pointing towards that by using, you know, the Midnight Meeting and the Abbey Gallop and those sorts of things. Um, I mean, I don't know how it is for the two of you, but if you ever watch kind of too many scary movies or things, do you start to find yourself becoming more armored in terms of your body language? or paranoid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what... And I think it goes back to your childhood when you're afraid of the shadows on the wall that look like witches and things like that, which is now coming up and resurfacing all these childhood (laughs) nightmares. (laughs) Uh. Well, I think that's actually a really important point because um, so like with the books or the movies, we have imagination kind of materialized. 
we have it where it becomes external. And so we can consume it in this way where we get this sort of thrill and then it's done and it's separate. And I think um, that the thing that I found really provocative and unsettling about this poem is that um, the real um, haunting, the real um, unknown is in what you think you know the best, which is your own mind. Um, so, and the imagination, I think, plays a part in that, right? Like what you, the corridors, what we might find in the imagination, not just thoughts we might not want ourselves to have, but the way our imaginations can come up with things. I wanted to ask, is the, the he, the body borrows a revolver, he bolts the door? I'm thinking it might be the cooler host just because uh, we're no longer unarmed? Or, or is it the assassin? I, I was wondering if it's a revolver too for the mental uh, universe, and is he bolting the door in his mind or his physical door to his apartment? Is, he, is, is the horror too much that this person is shutting off hmm. and, and not exploring further? Mm. And then we see the last two lines overlooking a superior specter or more. And maybe, I assume the superior, superior specter. Wow, that's hard to say. <laughs> superior specter. Yeah, that's God? Oh. God in the mind? Is that where he lives? Behind all those ghosts? Well, or that... The, the uber ghost. <laughs> well, that's super interesting. I was not thinking about or more, God or the or more. I mean, what else is out there? Beyond God. Or the superior specter is sort of what we create and the more uh, could be, you know, other things in the unknown. I mean, if we think about the unknown, there is the unknown in our own selves and then there is that, that greater unknown. Yeah. Um, and... And I think that, you know, there are people, especially if um, they are, they're borrowing a revolver and bolting the door um, in a way, and the voice of something, we could say God, or we could say something else is trying to get through to them. Um, the haunting just sort of increases. I mean, there, I think there's, and I can think of a few biblical references, like, um, I'm really going back to like Sunday school at this point, but like the calling of Samuel, um, when Samuel's asleep and, and God is calling his name and waking him up at night, um, or other ways um, that various um, spiritual individuals, when they're resisting that uh, self behind the self in some way, um, um, that wants to reveal itself, that wants to startle us, um, we we can borrow that revolver and we can bolt the door, but it doesn't seem like that's actually going to work long term. Mm -hmm. That it's it's coming for us in some way. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. What if you you fight all these internal ghosts and there's always a bigger one, and you don't know what's behind it, mm -hmm. and that's frightening. Mm -hmm. that, Maybe you can never get to the true self. Maybe you can never fight all these ghosts inside, and you're eventually you'll get a gun and bolt the door and stand your ground with as far as you've gotten. That 
it seems like a sensible thing to do if you're yeah. if the if the um, pursuit of the true self behind the self is really fruitless at a certain point <coughs> at a certain point you might be inclined to just buckle down mm-hmm. although I'm still unclear about who the the he is in the last stanza and that seems important to me just because that's that he is the subject of the last two lines I think he bolts the door or looking a superior specter or more I I think the he is referring to the body and that is really going back to the one this kind Mm -hmm. of generalized human being Um, the body borrows a revolver he bolts the door I Mm -hmm. mean that seems um, to follow pretty naturally yeah I think um, partially I was I was misreading bolts or I was reading bolts as like bolting off like running towards the door and that's why I thought it might have been the assassin or something that was hiding in the apartment what was coming for you yeah Mm -hmm. yeah I mean and, and again I think that I'm not sure both of you have kind of mentioned up this or mentioned this idea of a true self and I'm I'm not yet convinced that she's suggesting there's a true self concealed kind of behind this other self I think it's it's more about this unknown self or concealed self and I don't take it as a kind of um, value or judgment on that self because just because we're afraid of something doesn't mean it's fearsome in some way we just think it is or we think that it's coming to do um, some damage or it's our imagination at work or um, so I, I think that um, Robert your point earlier about overlooking a superior specter or more I think is really important that that could be something that's not ghost-like at all but something religious or something bigger that is in the unknown in that more um, and so that is, I think, a very interesting um, reading of that. Well, can I ask you to read through the poem one more time for us? Sure, I'd love to. One need not be a chamber to be haunted. One need not be a house. The brain has corridors surpassing material place. Far safer of a midnight meeting external ghost than its interior confronting that cooler host. Far safer through an abbey gallop the stones a chase than unarmed one's a self-encounter in lonesome place. Our self behind ourself, concealed, should startle most. Assassin hid in our apartment, be horrors least. The body borrows a revolver, he bolts the door, or looking a superior specter, or more. Thank you for um, letting me be here and, and share this poem with you. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you.
Thank right, you. Well, now I have some rapid fire questions oh. for you if you're ready for them. I'm, I'm, I don't know. Uh, if I'm not ready, ready. the self behind They're myself. coming at you with a revolver. All right, uh, I'm, I'm bolting the door. Revolver. Okay, I've bolted the door. First question Are you a god? No. Then die. <laughs> That's from Ghostbusters. Oh, oh yes. Gozer right. the Gozerian oh. asks them if they're a god. I had forgotten that part, but <laughs> I have been told that I do look like Sigourney Weaver, so. She's pretty awesome. She yeah, is. Awesome. I'm not claiming that kind of awesomeness, but I, you know. All right. Uh, what is best? What is best in general? Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. I don't know. I think what's best is a really good night's sleep. All right. <laughs> And uh, what's which book has changed your life the most? Wow, um, that is such a serious question. I, I it could be a bit of the the mood I'm in. I think that it's a tie, and this is going to sound it's a tie between Jane Eyre and Eichmann in Jerusalem, which may sound like a very peculiar combination. Um, but I think they changed my life the most because both of those books hit me at very young ages. I read Jane Eyre when I was in seventh grade. And um, there was just something about Jane and that book that helped me have an idea of what it might be like to be smart and fierce and unattractive and a heroine, nevertheless. Um, and so I, I was very, um, uh, I had a shift around that time in reading Jane Eyre. And the first time I read Eichmann in Jerusalem, I was a sophomore in high school. And um, reading that book, um, it wasn't so much the content of the book, but for the first time in my life, I began to understand that there were some very serious ideas in the world that I needed to pay serious attention to in order to really have a sense of why and how things happened um, in the world instead of merely just learning um, history or just reading books in terms of a surface way. Um, reading that book um, just, I guess, had an impact on me in terms of what it might mean to think deeply, even if I wasn't prepared or ready to do that and I could barely read Eichmann in Jerusalem at the time and, and know what was what was really going on. Um, but anyway, those two books had huge impacts on me when I was young. If, if you think about Jane Eyre, was there one moment, one scene, one quote that just resonated with you in particular? You know, I can't remember the quote, and I haven't read it for years, many, probably 20 years. But I remember there's this, this moment where um, Sinjin Rivers, is that his name, Sinjin Rivers? Um, the, the guy that, that Jane is staying with after the whole Rochester thing kind of blows up and she finds, oh, he was married. Um, and she's staying with St. John Rivers, and she's helping him translate things, and I think he's on his way to India. And 
he realizes how useful she is to him and wants her to marry him and, and go with him. And she says no. And uh, I hope I'm remembering this right so long ago. But um, what, I, what I loved about that moment in Jane Eyre was this heroine really asserting that she, she wanted more even though she couldn't have it. And she wasn't willing to somehow take less than what she wanted. And um, especially in that time, I think that is a pretty revolutionary approach um, in the novel for a female character. And, um, and so I, I really admired her for that. And so that scene um, was important to me that she understood that her mind was valuable and, and yet she wasn't going to sell out the other parts of her just to have that part acknowledged. Well, thank you for your wisdom. Catherine. Oh my gosh. Well, I don't feel very wise, but thank you for talking with me about literature. Nothing is better than that.